Inquiry must give way to request, and doubt must turn into trust, and questioning and hearing must lead to doing. That's what we want to consider this morning, the different ways that we can ask things of someone. There's all sorts of different questions in the world, aren't there? And there's all kinds of different motivations that lead us to ask different kinds of questions. I want you to consider that story that we heard from the Old Testament as sort of a a case in point of the different ways that God's people ask questions, because not all questions are the same, and not all questions are good questions. You've heard probably pastors say this before, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but we all know that there is, don't we? Listen again to what the people of Israel questioned in the wilderness. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Is that the kind of question they're asking because they sincerely want to know? Is it because they lack information that they ask Moses there in the wilderness while they're eating the manna, the bread from heaven, and calling it worthless food? Is it, have they forgotten and they're in need of a reminder? Or is their question a different kind of question? Hopefully you can see The answer to that, their question is not one seeking true knowledge. Their question is the kind of question, well, it's the kind of question that kids ask when they don't want to do what their parents say. I don't know what exact age it happens at. I don't know in your family when your kids started doing this, but it's almost a universal thing that at some point in time, children get the idea that they should be in charge, that all the decisions of the house need to come through the children, and so they start to ask questions. You know, mom and dad say, go and do this, go and do that, and the kids ask that very simple question, but very poignant question. Well, why? Now, sometimes, sometimes children are genuinely curious, right? Sometimes they honestly just want to know, why should I put my socks on before I put my shoes on? Why do I have to eat my broccoli? Sometimes they honestly want to know, and so sometimes parents need to tell them, here's why, little Johnny, here's why, little Margaret. But other times, other times, it's not born out of genuine inquiry, is it? In fact, far more often, far more often, what children really want is to be in the driver's seat. Why, mom and dad? You tell me. Why, mom and dad? Let's flip the tables. You're not really in charge here. I am. You need to explain to me why I should put my socks on first. You need to explain to me why it is that I have to eat everything on my plate before I get my ice cream sandwich. After all, I'm in charge. And when parents recognize that, some of us recognize it quickly. Usually with our firstborn child, we recognize it much slower. But when parents recognize that, they learn, don't they? They learn that there are times when there's no need to actually answer a question. There are times and places where the real answer to that question, why, is simply because I said so. You're not in charge. I am. And when that lesson is taught to children, something wonderful happens in the house. Hopefully, you've experienced this too. Something wonderful happens. Tranquility comes in. Peace and harmony are restored. Order is established. 
The child is free to be the child, and the parents are free to be the parents. And no one has to justify everything under the sun. You don't have to explain to your kids why it is every time that they need to wear their socks. And you don't have to tell little Johnny for the 20th time why he has to eat broccoli. Order, peace, tranquility, questions give way to actions. Inquiry gives way to request. Doubt gives way to trust. And questioning gives way to doing. That's what was to happen for Israel in the Old Testament. And that is what Jesus wants for his church presently. To not simply always be asking Jesus, well, why? Explain to me, Jesus, why it is that I should do what you say. Or, Jesus, explain to me everything that's under the sun. No, Jesus wants his disciples like children to trust him. To trust him. Think again of the disciples there in the wilderness. Think of the example of the bronze serpent. Moses goes to the elders of Israel. You can imagine the scenario. It's not described in our text this morning. And they've been being eaten up by these serpents in the wilderness. And so they had asked Moses, hey, Moses, why don't you ask God for us? We admit we did wrong. Please intercede for us. You be the go-between, Moses. You go and ask God and then come back and tell us what we should do. And so Moses, can you imagine this? comes back to the elders of Israel. He assembles the congregation and he says, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to make a serpent. You know, the one that's been biting you up. We're going to make an image of that serpent. We're going to do it out of bronze. We're going to put it on this pole. I'm going to lift it up. And anytime you get bitten, you just look at that pole and trust and you'll be saved. Now, probably some of the elders of Israel went home trusting. Okay, Moses said to do it. He gives us the word from the Lord, we'll do it. But can you also imagine some of the others asking, well, how's that going to help? Why does it have to be bronze? Why can't it be wood? That's easier to work with. It's really pretty difficult to make a bronze serpent. Why can't God have said that we could use wood? And what's it really going to help anyways? You know, I had a cousin down in Egypt who worked for Pharaoh, and they had all kinds of concoctions down there. They had all kinds of potions. Why can't God give us one of those? See how that questioning that questioning, that constant desire to have everything explained robs those people of trust. And those who doubted, those who would not look at the bronze serpent died in their unbelief. But those who trusted, those who accepted the word of the Lord and those who did what God commanded were saved from the serpents. Well, Jesus has come to claim your confidence. Jesus has come not to treat you like a little infant, not to treat you like a little baby and just say, you know what, none of your questions matter. You just have to do what I say. But Jesus has come to gain your confidence, to gain your allegiance and your loyalty and your trust so that you don't have to constantly be saying to Jesus, why? Explain it to me. Why do we have to do the things that you say, Jesus? Why can't we do what we want to do? You explain it to me. Jesus has come to rescue you from that illusion that you need to be in control. 
You can actually give up that illusion of control, and you can actually live in the freedom of God's children, not having to have everything explained and everything rationalized and everything justified, but to simply accept the things that he says and to gladly and willingly do them. Now, throughout his ministry, you know that Jesus was often questioned, right? And there were different kinds of questions that he received. And so he handled the questions differently, like a good teacher. Sometimes the questions were good ones. Sometimes the questions were teaching opportunities. Remember Peter saying to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times seven? And Jesus doesn't just say, no, look, Peter, you got to do it as much as is needed. But he tells a parable. The parable of the king who forgives this insurmountable debt and the ungrateful servant who's unwilling to forgive even a minuscule debt. But other times Jesus handled questions and inquiries quite differently. Are we not right in saying that you have a demon, said his opponents? Aren't you the son of Mary and Joseph? You know, you're just an insignificant guy. Why should we pay any attention to you? Jesus didn't always answer their questions. He knew the difference between an honest question, the question of a disciple that was looking for information, looking for knowledge, and the question of an opponent who wanted to put him down. And Jesus deals much the same with us. You heard him speaking to his disciples in John 16. This was on the night of his betrayal. These are some of the final words that Jesus spoke with his disciples before his cross and passion. You heard him speak that from now on, you won't ask me anything. You'll have no need to ask me anymore, for all your questions will have been answered. See, here is why Jesus has come. He has come to answer our questions, yes, but not to answer every last question, not to answer every last curiosity, maybe we should say. After all, there are endless curiosities that we could ask. There are endless questions. There is always another why, why, why that we might put to our Lord. But Jesus has come to gain your trust so that you might learn to say, I don't need every last question answered because I know what is most important. I know what is most sure. I know what is most certain, that he has come from God the Father, that he is my Lord, that he is my Savior, that the words in his mouth are true, that the things that he says can be built upon, that his word is a solid foundation, that it is a rock that will not wash away in the storms of this world. Jesus came to bring his disciples to that place of trust so that they might live a life of obedience, so that they might have all their questions answered, or at least the ones that are honest questions. Jesus doesn't disregard his disciples' requests, and he doesn't disregard yours at all either. Doesn't Jesus give you teaching? Doesn't he teach again and again and again throughout the Gospels and in the life of the disciple, in the life of faith and the life of the church, there is always time for teaching, for hearing God's word and growing in it. But Jesus doesn't want you to be an endless student. There are some professions where you have to go to endless education. Maybe some of you are in them. You have to get constant recertification. Doctors are like this, aren't they? Doctors need to constantly be studying, constantly be learning, always, always, always being students. And we're glad for that, right? It's good to have a doctor who's up to date on the latest techniques and the latest 
things. It's good to have a pastor who actually keeps reading and studying and growing in knowledge. You want that, of course. But imagine being in an endless school. (laughs) Imagine constantly taking tests, constantly reading books, constantly learning, 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 and never actually doing. See, Jesus doesn't want disciples who are endless students. Yes, he wants you to always be growing in his word, but he wants you to come to a place where you can say, you know, I don't need to study forever. And the point of studying, the point of learning God's word was never simply to satisfy my intellectual curiosities. The point of learning God's word was to trust it. And the point of learning his commandments was to do them, not just to know about them. That's what Jesus wants in his disciples, and that is what he has given to you, so that you might cease your constant inquiries of Jesus and turn them into requests of the Father. In that day, you will ask nothing any longer of me, because you will know me, he says to his disciples. You will trust me, and when you trust me, then all of the whys and all of the curiosities will turn into requests. Do you see the difference between those things? The difference between constant inquiry and making requests. Let me give you an illustration from the military. Soldiers often say things like this, right? Um, Ours is not to question why. Ours is just to do and die. Kind of fatalistic, isn't it? But I guess that's life in the military. There is something of value in that for us as Christians. Ours is not to endlessly question why, why, why. Ours is to receive the why and to do it. And when you come to that place of trust, when you know that you can trust Jesus and you don't need him to constantly explain every last commandment that he gives you, then those inquiries, why is it, Jesus, that I should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Why is it that I shouldn't commit adultery? Why, Jesus, explain to me. When you learn to set those questions aside, then this wonderful thing happens. You can make requests of the Father to actually do the things that he says, right? Imagine the soldiers. Let's stick with the soldiers this morning. Imagine the soldiers actually out on the battlefield and their general gives them the command, all right, boys, we need to go and take that hill. Well, if those soldiers look back at their commander and say, well, why? What's the strategic import of that hill, general? Explain it to us. Show us on the map. Explain the whole strategy. The whole point of being a soldier is to do what you're commanded, right? And if you don't, then the whole military will break down. Isn't that what life as a Christian is like, at least in some small degree? God does not tell us, now look. Now look. I'm going to explain everything to you again and again and again. He gives commands. He gives imperatives. He gives his law so that we might go and do it, so that we might take the hill, confident that our Lord and our master gives us his commands in love. See, that's the difference maybe between the military soldier and the Christian. The military soldier is simply to put his head down and do it. Ours is just to do and die. But the Christian knows that God's commands spring not from an impulse simply to win a war, but that he commands what is best for us. 
There's a great illustration of this in church history. Some of you may know the name St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a church father in about the year 400. And before he was a Christian, St. Augustine was kind of a wild man. And so when he wanted to join the church, he had a problem. St. Augustine's problem was this. He was living with a woman who wasn't his wife. And St. Augustine knew that that's not the way that things are supposed to go. St. Augustine knew he had been taught that this is not the life of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so he was stuck between a rock and a hard place, or so he thought, until he came to a point where he said this great prayer that's written in his book called The Confessions. He said, grant to me, O Lord, the will to do what you command, and then command whatever you will. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? It's the prayer that we prayed this morning. Give to us, O Lord, the will to do what you command, and then command whatever you will. Take away from us, O Lord, the constant need to explain every last commandment, and let us simply be your children, free to do your will. Give to us, O Lord, the will to do what you command, and then, O Lord, command whatever you will. When that is your prayer, when that becomes the prayer of a whole congregation, then God does incredible things. He did in the life of St. Augustine, and he will do the same for us, because that is a prayer that God promises to bless. That is a prayer that God promises to give. That is a prayer that he promises to answer resoundingly with a yes. Be you doers of the word and not just hearers. Be you requesters of God the Father and not simply those who constantly want more and more and more information. Because we all know, we all know, right, that constantly asking questions is just a delay tactic. Put away the delays. Put away the constant need for more and more and more justification and learn to receive his word and to do it. Jesus gives an incredible promise to you this morning. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, there's a key distinction here. He doesn't say, whatsoever you ask, I will give you. Right? He puts a little bit of a condition on it. If you ask it in my name, that is, if you ask it in accordance with my teaching, if you ask it in accordance with what I have come to do, then you can be sure and certain that your heavenly Father will give it to you. Be doers of that word. Be hearers of that word this morning and learn every morning and every night to make requests of your heavenly Father. Now, if you have questions and if you don't understand the whys and the rationale for all of God's commands and all of the things that he wants in his people, well, then, by all means, ask. Ask, and Jesus will teach. Ask, and his word will reveal. Ask, and I will be glad to help you find the answers. But when you have the answer, when you have the answer, then don't delay any longer, but be doers of that word. Take the hill. Be doers of the word. Eat your broccoli. Be doers of the word. Put your socks on before you put your shoes on. And don't, don't desire to constantly be the one in the driver's seat. Because guess what? Guess what? Here's the wonderful thing. When Jesus takes the wheel, <laughs> life is actually better. You know that hurts me to say. But when Jesus is in the driver's seat, when Jesus is in the driver's seat, life is so much better. 
For what he commands you, he does so out of love for you. What he gives to you to do, he doesn't do to keep you down, but he gives it to you to show you the way of life and salvation. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.